2: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com.
3: Howdy, hey my brewing brothers and sisters, Greetings, Cretans. <laughs> it's almost like a question. Yeah, Cretans, Cretans. Um. <laughs> you... Speaking of greeting all the Cretans, you looking forward to the uh, the conference coming up in June ah, and sure Philly? Am. Yeah, where you can greet all your Cretans.
4: Yeah, you know it, it really is a it's fun meeting uh, new brewers for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh you know hearing hearing about the beer they're brewing and uh, how excited they are about it and uh you know how they're blown away being at their first D C conference yeah how they're blown away meeting you yes, yes. well no just <laughs> that being at the conference <laughs> i, I mean uh, you know it's pretty awesome i mean you if a lot of people can't imagine you know 1500 1800 homebrewers you know, getting together, sharing beer, talking about beer for three days in a row. It's, it's, uh, it's,
3: it's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be like 3,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be huge. And uh, it's fantastic. I'm sure Christy uh, probably asked you, too, about uh, signing books at the conference. Yeah. I said, absolutely. Yeah. I said. You know, it's, I actually love signing books. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like it. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's, it's work in a way, but here's somebody who's taken their hard-earned money, used it to purchase something that supports you, supports what you're interested in. You know, It applies a value to what you've done. If nobody's yeah. willing to buy mm-hmm. it, it's got no value. They've actually, you know, people work hard for their money. Well, most people, money doesn't just fall out of trees. It takes some effort. And they take their their you know their discretionary income, which is probably pretty darn small, and say, "Hey, I'm going to put a serious chunk of it down on this book." Eh, gotta make you feel pretty good. Oh yeah. So Definitely. I love I love signing books. I'm just like, "Hey, thank you. You know, I appreciate you buying the book, taking the time, and and standing in line, and feeling like it's worth something to you."
4: Yeah. It, I especially like uh, signing the ones where they wanting. say, Make this one out to my brother, tell him he's a douche, you know. <laughs>
3: Moscow's <laughs> looking at me like I've lost my mind. But no, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's just a wonderful little thing and uh I'm happy to do it every time. I I, I would not uh, you know, people you run into people that are like oh, I would have brought my book, I knew you were here. But I never uh, bought one. You know, I didn't I didn't wanna I don't wanna, you know, annoy you. Like, annoy me. Hell bring. <laughs> that's that's what it's for. Bring it.
5: Bring a stack. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll sign them. You ever get anybody that doesn't want you to make it out to someone personally because they're going to eBay it later? You're like, who, who should I make it out to? Nobody. Just sign it. Yeah, they're just like, no, just a general
3: signature is fine. And I'm always like, oh, so you sell it on eBay? I said, you know, it has more value if it hasn't been de- defaced, right? I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, because uh, I think I wonder if once it's signed, you have to list it as used.
4: You know, I guess yeah. it is definition, right?
3: Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know. You have to list it as new used instead of the new, but uh, yeah, I don't mind that either. You know, there's there's been some homebrew shops. It's like, do you, you mind signing a couple for the homebrew shop? I'm like, absolutely. You know, you're, the customers are they're buying the books, Sure. You know, not a problem. Like, I've done that too. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, John doesn't mind. I don't mind. Uh, you know, bring the books. Mm-hmm. No problemo. Speaking of problemos, uh, everything flowing all right uh, for you there, Palmer?
4: Yeah, everything's flowing well. There you go. So, well, I'll tell it, you this: it, it's amazing, you know, that if I've had nearly three days of not much to do. Um, you know, rather than waking up, working on the water book, going to bed, waking up, working on the water book. Mm-hmm. Now I got not a whole lot going on as I wait for the conferences this summer to start although i do have some things to work on but still well
3: i'll tell you who never has flow problems
4: our good buddy john blickman <laughs> you're right
3: yes yeah. our good buddy john blickman he'll be at the conference he'll be out there uh probably showing some amazing new innovation for home brewing
4: yeah do you
3: do you know has he has he revealed anything to you? Does he have something special? No,
4: he hasn't. He has not revealed anything to me. So it must be super special, whatever it is. Super
3: special, or he's been a little lazy. I don't
4: know. <laughs> well, nah, I know, I know. Lazy. They they moved to a new building. They had to move to a bigger oh, facility. Oh
3: yeah, that's right. Demand's been so high that uh, they had to change uh, change buildings and all that. And that I'll tell you, through personal experience. That'll pretty much kill you. And yeah. your 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 time to innovate is pro- probably uh, very minimal during that. I, I'll bet you, uh, but I'll guarantee you this: he's had some moments where he's sitting on the toilet or whatever, and he's come up with new ideas. He just hasn't had time to implement them, probably. Yeah. So you can see, like twice as many great innovations uh, next time. I, I bet you he's got some. He's just been too busy to tell you and I, mere mere peons.
4: <laughs> but, His uh, best friends. <laughs> best friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, um, he's a great guy. It's a great company. Everybody there is is just fantastic, and they're constantly coming up with these great ideas for making your brew day better. So uh, go check out their stuff at uh, BlickmanEngineering.com, Blickman with two Ns, uh, engineering with like an E and a G or something. Um, it They have such neat stuff. I've used... I think pretty much every piece of equipment that they make and I've not found anything that doesn't work as advertised or better than advertised It's fantastic. I mean, they, they test this stuff. They know what they're doing. Um, you know, so a lot of times you buy stuff and it doesn't really work. Their stuff works, which is probably the best testament I can, I can give right there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, today we are going to be doing a, uh, Q and a show. And, um, you know, if you listen live, you can actually sign in the chat room. You can ask some questions live. Scott would go through there and work magic. He'd type on the, the keyboard and click with the mouse and somehow get those questions to us. And we would be able to uh, answer your questions. Sure. I've got ca- a question from Carl. It looks very much like uh, a Klingon. I'm serious. He looks very Klingon-like. Interesting. Kind of like JP with a lot of hair. Uh, That's very Klingon-like. All right. Uh, Sorry, I I digress. Uh, I want to jump right into it. Uh, Carl says he accidentally started an argument on homebrewtalk.com. He says, I thought I remember you saying that... In the bulk, the bulk of ester and off-flavor production occurs during the lag phase and early part of fermentation, and that, therefore, temperature control is most important during the early part of fermentation. I went ahead and repeated this in response to a question a newbie had. Then another brewer started, stated the opposite, that off-flavors are created primarily in the later stages of fermentation and quoting a paper by Chris White to back himself up. Can you clarify the importance and role of fermentation temperatures? If it matters, we were primarily talking about ales. Thanks. Well, interestingly enough, it it does matter in a way. Um, there are all sorts of points in the fermentation process, in the brewing process, where you're determining to some extent whether you're getting, uh, you know, if you're talking esters, uh, they're talking about ester and off-flavor production. Ester production, off-flavor production not necessarily the same thing. I mean, they're controlled different ways. Off flavor can be bacteria. It could be, you know, uh, phenolics. It could be, uh, you know, uh, poor water conditions causing, uh, you know, or sulfur in the water. It could be all sorts of things. Um, Ester production is, you know, kind of the process of, you know, yeast producing alcohols and these ester precursors and, you know, how the beer is treated. So, There's so many different factors all throughout the way. You can say that treating the fermentation, the temperature, the beer, the yeast, uh, one way or another, at any point in the process, can result in more esters in the finished beer, more what you might call off flavors in the finished beer, Uh, diacetyl, acetaldehyde, things like that, um, are determined by... Uh, a variety of things and and one of the you know besides nutrients uh, which is just a huge one it's it's a lot of it 's based on cell the health of the cell membrane and the ability in the health of that e cell and its ability to control a lot of things um, for example you know in lager production you might um, uh, be doing all you can at the very beginning to Uh, you know, control uh, the creation of these uh, precursors of these other flavor compounds, and that's a a huge part of it. I'm fond of saying, beginning of fermentation, when the growth phase is happening, you know, that's really a critical part for the yeast. You know, nutrient-wise, temperature-wise, amount of oxygen, um, you know, all that tends to make a, a big difference. But, you know, temperature is quite important throughout. Generally, a rising temperature you know, just keeps the yeast more active and will actually help. And they should not be producing more esters necessarily. Um, you've got a little more leeway. Uh, diacetyl rest, things like that help consume diacetyl. But if you let the fermentation go too fast and not finish completely and you, you accelerate fermentation you can end up with a lot of acetaldehyde. And if you crash your temperature at the end and too rapid a cooling, getting back to lager yeast, too rapid a cooling, uh, you can, uh, it will actually cause yeast to express more of those compounds uh, than if you were to cool it slower. That's one of the studies I've seen. Um, I think it's quoted in the uh, yeast book. A lot of this information is in the yeast book. I mean, it's hard to pick just one part of the puzzle and say, well, if you do this, then, you know, the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it does matter. Yeah. But I really yeah. think, you know, that initial setup of the yeast, that initial health, that initial growth, all that is fundamentally the most important of the entire fermentation process. Does that clarify things, or have I just made it muddier, John?
4: No, I, I think you did. I mean, it's. I, th- I think I heard you agree with the uh, questioner that um, temperature control is important throughout the process, but it's more critical at the beginning of the process uh, than towards the end. Although you, you brought up one example of um, a. a temperature issue you know mm-hmm. cold crashing can cause uh, yeast shock and expression uh, of off flavors well one example if they can but uh exactly. mostly it's more critical at the beginning and
3: cleaning up other flavors and you know production of certain things i mean they all it's all and also yeah. you know too too slow a fermentation you don't have it uh, nice and active uh you can you can run into you know leaving things like sulfur compounds in the beer that should have blown off, uh, during fermentation. So all those things, um, you know, very, very, uh, very difficult to say, well, it doesn't matter during the end, but I think, you know, I, I'd say, you know, a little more, I, I favor the, the beginning of it. Anyways, yeah. get yourself a copy of the yeast book, buy from the brewing network, a little bit goes to the brewing network, or no, actually quite a bit goes to the brewing network from that. And, uh, uh, about 25 cents goes to John, and, or goes to uh, Chris, Chris. Uh, homebrew <laughs> and dog meat. And uh, uh, you're, you'll get uh, what I think is actually quite a good book about yeast, uh, you know, without, uh, without tooting my own horn too much. Uh, this guy, Tristan, he looks like uh, uh, a serious businessman or a used car salesman, one or the other. He says, Hey, guys, how does uh, variation in temperature affect the possibility of exploding bottles? He goes on to say, recently I bottled a partial mash dark ale that I've made a few times before. Everything I did in my brewing process was the same. Usually I let the bottles condition for weeks, if not months, in a cabinet in my kitchen, which holds a good constant 70 degrees. Then I cool them down in the fridge and enjoy without a problem. This time around, I let them condition about two, three weeks before storing them in my 40-degree kegerator. I grabbed six for a party and drove from Sacramento to San Diego. The bottles were in the back on the floor in a cardboard holder standing upright. There were a few bumps along the road, and the bottles fell over a few times, and he hit a part police car. No, no, no. As <laughs> soon as I got to San Diego, I threw the bottles back into the fridge to cool them down to enjoy. About five or ten minutes later, a, a loud pop was heard, and I checked the fridge. There was beer and shards of glass everywhere. Three bottles exploded. Took the other three out and opened them ASAP. All three foamed up pretty good, spilling outside of the bottle. The remaining bottles in my freezer are still good, and they don't foam up when I open them. They're practically picture perfect. Perhaps my little my yeast wasn't done after the two to three weeks where I put them in the freezer and they kicked back up after sitting for seven hours in the car. I thought being in the cold for a few weeks would have made the yeast flocculate down and quit their job. Any ideas on why these suckers blew up? Thanks for a great show for novice homebrewers like myself. Actually, it seems like he's got quite a bit of uh, knowledge already. Yeah. What would you say, John? What, what do you think the the culprit was there?
4: Well, it, clearly something was active. I don't know whether it was yeast or bacteria, um, but uh, something sounds like something was activated and grew during the, the during the drive. Um. Yeah,
3: I I guess if it got real hot in the car and, you know, the yeast really warmed up, got shaken up, and there was, uh, you know, quite a bit of residual sugar. Yeah. But he let let them sit two to three weeks before he chilled them down in the first place. Yeah. So I would think, you know, in, in seven hours, I mean, you can get some CO2 production in seven hours from a healthy ferment. But yeast, it's been sitting, um...
4: Yeah, it's not that much time.
3: You know, yeah,
4: you know... That much sugar in the bottle, you would think. Right. I'm like, yeah. Maybe, maybe the fact they, uh, did knock over a couple times, you know, micro cracks in the glass. Right, right.
3: Well, and he said he opened the other three ASAP, which was a wise thing to do. Mm -hmm. He says they phoned over like crazy,
4: no, that's true. Yeah, <laughs>
5: <laughs> got nothing, huh?
3: I, that's, a weird yeah, I'm, one. I, I gotta, I, you know, sometimes when you um, agitate, so the the yeast on the bottom, all the particulate matter, especially it's a dark beer, right? Dark ale, partial mash. There's real fine little uh, grain particles that when you make dark ooh, ale, the the yeah. the dark grains shatter. And you get these really fine, microfine particles. And before they settle out, if you pour the beer, it, it drives the CO2 out in huge volume. And um, if you let it all settle out, settle out to the bottom, the beer pours a lot smoother. You don't really have that problem. I've noticed that before. I suppose you should shake it up. I mean the the. Carbonation wants to come out of solution, but you still, I mean, it's a trapped vessel. As long as the, I mean, the total pressure should have been equalized. I guess heating it up, if it got quite warm, shaken up, you put it in in a cold fridge, maybe that stress on the glass caused it to crack. I mean, it it was shaken up. Maybe it was a little more carbonated than normal. The beer was hot, so pressure in the vessel was high. Yeah. put it in mm. on a cold metal rack or something and maybe that was enough
4: it, thermal stress thermal and stress pressure.
3: because one of the things that a lot of people don 't understand is um, like even borosilicate glass you know pyrex glass things like that the the way it you know if you if you heat one of those up empty and then put it somewhere cold it 'll shatter but if you fill it up with uh, hot liquid or with liquid and then get a boiling you can actually put it in cold water and it's fine but if you do it empty it'll shatter and it's really you know the liquid acts as a buffer to carry the heat goes through and everything's fine and so that stress on the glass maybe that was it i don't know
5: wouldn't it have to be like a really hot car like in the desert 120
3: 125 degrees though yeah he uh he joined the the cast. Well, he says a little more. He joined the cast of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> it's
5: went well, through Death Valley, etc., etc. Oh. So maybe well, that was it. Yeah, well, oh. Death Valley. I mean, that can that can
3: get up to that high, right? No, uh, I assume he just <laughs> went down <laughs> I five. <laughs> yeah,
4: and uh, it, you, there could be something in what you say about the you know the debris in the bottom of the bottle mm-hmm. if it caused. Or maybe, you know, calcium oxalate precipitation, you know, that could have occurred. Right, But, right, right. you know, something to cause more of the CO2 to come out of solution into the headspace, mm-hmm. you know, and then... It comes
3: out rapidly and then, you know... Yeah. Oh, but there's a certain limit to how much pressure can come out, though. Yeah. Although, you know, even... Uh, all right, so... I, well, that's why, that's why I thought maybe some
4: external, the, the fluid you know, dynamics or wild yeast may have been but a If you take
3: a, a plastic soda bottle... Right? And it's sitting there and you can kind of squeeze it, it seems fine. But if you shake it, it becomes rigid very hard. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh that's because the CO is coming out of solution. I mean it was at equilibrium. You shake it, it comes out of that the pressure builds, so yeah. I guess the pressure could build up to a point where it's gonna shatter it even though the CO two levels in there. So I would think maybe a combination of warm being warm. Uh, having nucleation sites for CO two uh, evolution, and uh, maybe you know a certain amount of headspace or something like that. A more generous headspace might be an issue. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, you know putting it in a super cold environment. Uh, maybe that was that was enough to do it. And you know if the beer is warm and the CO two has been shaken out of it, and then you open it, uh, even a, a regular carbonated beer will just gush. Yeah. So I think
5: I think that's I think that's the answer. I think we we came up with it. There you go, huh? huh? Right. <laughs> so your advice to him is avoid wild temperature swings and, and shaking it, it on a, a paint shaker. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Yeah.
3: And then it, if you do that just kind of maybe not put it in somewhere cold right away. I don't know. Maybe let it let it reabsorb into the into the bottle. I think if he had left it in there the other ones they may have uh you know eventually kind of you know, gone back into solution would have been fine. So that would just, be my advice.
5: Just so I'm clear, Death Valley to Deep Freeze, not good? Not good. Not good. Not, good. not good. Okay. No, There you go. All right.
2: Let's take a short break. While we come back, more of your questions after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps home brewers face every day. The Brewometer, a brew brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The auto sparge ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry and much more like the modular top tier brewing stand, conical fermenters and their boiler maker brew pots with more cutting edge equipment coming soon. Keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge.
3: Hey, my Brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive of bittering. It takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam you in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers.
1: Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Do you know
2: the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. For craft brewers and home brewers, 5 Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, Star San, Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers and more. 5 Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses and valves. And 5 Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you If you have a cleaning problem, you need the five-star solution. Visit 5starchemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the five-star treatment today. For nearly 15 years, homebrewers have been served by one place in Michigan where you can buy yourself a serial killer grain mill. Adventures in Homebrewing. Did you try all those great Michigan beers at the National Homebrewers Conference in San Diego or Seattle? Adventures in Homebrewing delivered. Did you see a great false bottom in your buddy's cooler or brew kettle? Adventures in Homebrewing delivered that. And did you see that great custom-built brew stand? Yep, Adventures in Homebrewing delivered. Since 1999, Adventures in Homebrewing in Taylor, Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and online at homebrewing.org has been serving homebrewers across the globe. Check out their innovative 2.5 gallon keg with metal handles, great homebrew kits and the fully adjustable Cereal Killer Grain Mill. Visit them in Philly for the 2013 National Homebrewers Conference. Not going to make it? Check out all the fun of Adventures in Homebrewing at homebrewing.org. For a limited time, coupon code BNETWORK will slam 10% off your order. Bam! Adventures in Homebrewing. Join the adventure at the Great Lakes Home for homebrewing supplies. Online at homebrewing.org. And don't forget coupon code BNETWORK for a limited time. Join the adventure today. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong.
4: All right. Beer. Beer.
3: You having a beer, John? No, actually. I'll have an extra one for you. Thank you. I'll make I'll make up for your lack of holding up the other end of the uh, the brewing process or the
4: show process there. <laughs>
5: you have it up for the radio, Palmer. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm double fisting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's not drinking.
4: I've got a double union jack in front of me. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I know when you means go. by double fisting. That's a sexual thing, ain't it? Yeah, it sounds like a couple of black
4: eyes to me but
3: <laughs> if you go on adamandeve.com let me let me tell you about adamandeve.com ah. if you go and use my name as a offer code jamel j-a-m-i-l you get 50 percent off just about any one item in the store you get free shipping you get a free extra gift and then you get to choose the three free DVDs, adult DVDs, not the bottom of the bin goat on goat sex action. <laughs> you get you get to choose from genres such as anal amateur Asian, big breasts, big butts, bisexual, chunky coits, fetish, gay, interactive POV, lesbian milfs, etc. You can even do it from your mobile phone. Go to AdamAndEve.com. Use my name J A M I L. You get the fifty percent off. You get the free gift. You get the free shipping. You get the three free DVDs, and it's, it's it's good stuff that you can choose from. Yeah, and uh, there you go.
4: It's uh, yeah. I, I I made the mistake of putting your your name in the search window rather than the <laughs> offer code window, and of course,
3: oh yeah, then then you were probably yeah. you were probably just uh, ashamed to uh, look your wife in the eye at at that point, right? <laughs> you
5: had to go wash your hands afterwards, or what?
4: No, 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 no. Just, you know, clean the hard drive.
5: <laughs> he had to take one of those showers where he was, like, weeping in a fetal position. <laughs> Just crying, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> what you get for double fisting it, eh? Right?
4: There you go.
3: Speaking of double fisting, uh, Casey, who uh, who uh, Scott tells me looks like a uh, 14-year-old girl on MySpace, uh, has a question... Uh, does an India pale lager hold on to hop flavor and aroma longer than an India pale ale? He says he was chatting with a brewer uh, in uh, down south about this topic, and he said that in his experience, the lagers keep the hops fresh longer than when using an ale yeast. Seems like it might make sense, but I'm curious curious if there's any scientific explanation
4: behind it or if it's just not true it's a great question off the top of my head I can't think of a reason why it would hold on to it longer for the same same hop variety between the two beers
3: I mean the only thing I can think of is well you know it's the whole temperature thing like Bamforth's fond of talking about you know every 10 degrees C um, you know things happen that much faster. So with a lager, you tend to ferment it colder, store it colder, do a lot of stuff with it colder. So, you know, perhaps the hop compounds are not degrading as fast or changing as fast. I don't necessarily want to say degrading. They're evolving slower. Yeah, you know, oxidizing less, yeah. Probably half as fast or whatever. And so... um yeah, you know, that might be the only explanation I can think of. Otherwise, I I can't think of any compounds or such that would um you know cause uh you know one thing or another. I, I think temperature would be the only thing I can think of.
4: Yeah, I, that's that's my thought too. I mean, every everything else should be the same. Is the temperature, you know, maybe the General, as you say, the general storage temperature is probably the only real difference between them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Well, and I don't normally do this, but then Casey has another question that he sent in, and the reason I'm doing it is because the guy used the subject matter Q and A, which I appreciate. Yep. <laughs> and he keeps his question short. Here he he asked uh, just a mere two days ago, "What happens to a beer as it ages? Specifically, barley wine, stouts, porters, etc." During the Barley Wine Brewing with Style show, Jamel mentioned that some of the alcohols may convert to more of a fruity nature, just curious if that's a predictable outcome with age or if there are other desirable properties that change pretty reliably. Um, You know, as beers age, you know, alcohols can, um, you know, there's... there's Like, fruity esters are these... uh, You know, compounds that combine with the alcohols to create esters. And it happens at a certain point in the process. There's some thought, I guess, where as things age, um, some of that can continue or there can be some morphing of alcohols into other flavors or compounds. Um,
4: It's a very very minor process, though.
3: Yeah, and other other compounds in the beer, they oxidize, they stale, uh, heat, uh, oxygen, Time all affects those, and so when you get a, a, a change in one flavor, or certain flavors disappear. Let's say some of the hop character, hop resins that are part of the bitterness drop. Uh, you can get uh, you know an increase in other flavors that were kind of being masked by one. So uh, as compounds change, as certain things drop out, just through natural processes uh you can get uh, you know an increase in in what may seem like fruitiness, uh, caramel things like that.
4: Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, that, that, yep. I agree with that. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, and <laughs> I don't think there's any. You really can't predict what or how a beer will change as it ages. Mm-hmm. You can. You can say in general we know that this beer tends to get, you know, a little bit more cherry flavor with time, but even that's kind of pushing it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Uh, pretty individual. Right.
3: And fermentation is, is more the key to, in, in the strain of yeast is more the key to, you know, the result than a lot of other things. Uh, you know, I was listening to the Brewcaster challenge that they did on the Sunday session. And, um, you know Justin's beer turned out sweeter and more boozy than anticipated, and you know I gotta say the reason was he went with the Edinburgh yeast, which is gonna make it sweeter and more boozy <laughs> that plus <laughs> you know I mean it's just you know versus a Cal ale yeast um that and it wasn't i guess carbonated enough, which you know that that has an effect on how sweet it seems
5: mm-hmm. didn't he get the uh the yeast from you though or from heretic no.
3: No, I told him to. Instead he grew up his and he went with Edinburgh East just to be different. We use Cal Ale in that. We use the uh W L P O one. Because no, Scott, if LR's I remember correctly, Texas, everybody
4: liked Justin's beer at the uh, at Vest this past weekend.
5: They did, but interestingly, they, it, a lot of it depended on the order in which the beers were tasted. If people uh-huh. tried Justin's first, which was happening for the, for the first part of the day, uh, and then they tried JP's next, which was much milder, they preferred Justin's basically 100% of the time. If they tried JP's, the milder, first, and then went to Justin's, it was almost like a 50-50 split. Maybe it even favored JP, for what that's worth.
3: Hmm. It's not
5: worth anything. Just saying.
3: All right, uh, Nick, who looks very much like a uh, shaggy dog, I mean, literally. Are, like they, are they sending their their pictures with to you yeah. or what? Yeah, I'm actually looking at these online versus uh, uh, the printouts. Oh, I see. So whatever their Google or Gmail pictures or Google Plus pictures are, I'm seeing those. <laughs> and Nick is, yeah, maybe it's a picture of his dog. Maybe that's it other Or there's there's a dog that is into Mm homebrewing. And Nick the dog says, if I keep my recipe the same, but increase everything at the same rate, will I produce the exact same wort? No. If you increase everything, it won't be exactly the same. By keeping everything the same, it will be the same. If you're if you're on there, let's see. First time I knew, oh, maybe he's talking about scaling a recipe. Maybe I should read
4: the whole thing. Yeah, why not?
3: First time I knew a and I'm just starting a series of brewing one exact recipe and I'm only changing the hop varieties between batches. What my hope is to learn exactly what types of flavors come out of each hop type. What ones my palate likes best. I think that's a great idea, Nick. The first batch was a one-gallon batch, and after completing this, I was thinking that I should repitch the yeast for the first brew on the next brew day. But after listening to your show, it shows that repitching yeast will change the flavor and will not be the same as pitching new yeast. So if I double up everything on the recipe, making it a two-gallon batch and split the wort out to, at the end, a one-gallon size, it'll still be compared with the first batch that was only one gallon. Ah, so it really ends up being. Um, about yeast pitching rates, he's using dry yeast if you're using dry yeast, just you know you can just continue using the dry yeast if mm-hmm. that's your concern, it will change you know the more you repitch yeast it's not just about the the volume the quantity of yeast the yeast behavior starts to change over time, depending on how you're treating it and how you're selecting the yeast you're not transferring every last cell that was in that previous beer um, and you know the the way that you've treated or mistreated that yeast is also going to change its behavior as it goes forward and, and ferments another batch so in the case you're using dry yeast I would just you know jar, dry yeast is cheap um, you can just you know use an appropriate amount of dry yeast each time. I think you know that, or you know repitch all of them, and uh you know do it that way, but i I think your your experiment of uh trying to figure out the characteristics of different hops is quite admirable all right let's see here Jason who doesn't look like anything because he does not included a picture. He says, uh, when utilizing the brew-in-a-bag method of all-grain brewing, how do you adjust your water profile and pH when dealing with such large volumes of water without being damaging to the flavor? Thanks for doing the Lord's work. Well, if
4: you're talking about uh, <laughs> Procreation, you know. yes. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, or faking procreation. Yeast propagation.
3: <laughs> all right, so John, this one's for you. <laughs> when you're utilizing brewing a bag, how do you adjust your yeah. water profile and pH when you've got such a large volume of water? Because you're brewing a bag, you, since you put all the water you need uh, for the mash and the sparge, it's all in the one vessel. And then you teabag the daylights out of it with your, your big sack of grain. Yep. And, you know, how do you adjust that large volume of water to
4: accomplish... Uh, uh, well, you know, pH. you, you got to measure it. Um, if you if if you want to uh, optimize the brew in the bag uh, mash pH, you got to measure it. And um, you know, it depends. It depends on the bit on the beer recipe. It depends on the water that you're using. Um, you know, maybe half the time you will be in a happy medium between the two where. Um, you know the water is not highly alkaline. Um, it uh, and your grain bill is such that you even at you know at that very very dilute water to grist, grist ratio, maybe you're up say five to one or six to one um, versus a more normal three to four to one. Uh, you can still have a decent mash pH and you'll get a good beer out of it. Um, the you know if but if if you're trying to adjust it um and uh let's say your water is more alkaline than what you'd want for the style um again you got to measure and you got to you got to uh make some adjustments to that total volume um it's it really i guess it's it's really not any different from a regular mashing process um, you just need to be aware of of what the um, the effect of that high dilution is on your mash pH and on your on your final runnings pH.
3: Well, and I I could throw in you know when I uh, started out homebrewing, I would adjust my mash water, and I I got all my water ready first, and then mm-hmm. I you know added my grains. So I got my mash water and my sparge water. And I adjusted both of them to about um, you know five point five, yeah. Uh, you know about five two when when hot when at mash temperatures, yeah. And then uh, I'd add my grains, and it, voila, everything would end up right about the right right pH every time. So I would think you know since you're kind of combining your mash water and your sparge water, just adjust the entire volume. That should get you close. And then maybe in the future you need to go a little bit more, a little bit less, because you're going to have less effect with the grains, all that grain being in there. Right. I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to get down to like a, you know, a hot five four, or you know, something like that. And you know, just just try it. And if you're off by a little bit, that's okay. Um, you know, it'll be all right. But at least you're measuring it. At least you're you're paying attention to a, you know, one of the fundamental and important things about uh, all grain brewing. I, I imagine you could you could get pretty close. I don't think yeah. it should be an mm-hmm. issue. So, just some trial and error should should get you there, huh?
4: Yeah, but as you say, you can adjust all your water ahead of time if you know, and then measure and see where it get where you get, um, and then you know adjust from there the next time you brew that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for that recipe.
3: All right, I am going to read this next question. Then we're going to take a break, and during the break, we're going to try and figure out. What in the heck could possibly be causing this? J.J. James says, Hey guys, I've been working my way through some book called Brewing Classic Styles. I heard about that. It's really not very good. I I don't think you want that. Uh, It's shitty recipes. Some asshole. It's wonderful, damn it. Um, And notice when using Munich extract in the Maibach and the Dortmunder, they came out way darker than they should have. The Dortmunder almost came out like a Bach. Followed the recipes to a T. Both tasted great, but not really to style. What could be the problem? Thanks to you guys for all you do. You're awesome. Thanks, JJ. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, JJ's answer after this.
2: Getting tired of that same old handcrafted beverages day after day? Are you looking for something with more diversity than your normal beer? Fellow BN Army member Michael Fairbrother, owner of Moonlight Meadery, is reviving an entire beverage category. Mead! The meads at Moonlight Meadery are all handcrafted from the finest honey on the market and are perfect for any occasion like weddings, baby showers, or... Excuse me? Mead is not your average girly drink, mister, and Moonlight Meads can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Football games with guys barbecues with the guys operating power tools with the guys Um, actually sir that's really dangerous Good point, son. Next time you have something to celebrate or are just looking for a new tasting experience, pick up a bottle of mead from Moonlight Meadery. Now in 21 states, making over 60 varieties of mead from dry, semi-sweet to sweet. Break out of that craft beer low. Grab a bottle of Moonlight Mead. Can't find some? Then ask. No, make that demand some. Yeah! A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. And, and that brew builder software is awesome. Oh, yeah. Brewmaster's Warehouse brings you flat-rate shipping on great equipment and ingredients to make beer, wine, cheese, and spirits at BrewMastersWarehouse.com. And if you're in Georgia, stop by Brewmaster's Warehouse Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Visit BrewMastersWarehouse.com today because it's totally hot. Oh, yeah.
3: Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the Home Brewed Chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your home brew for Brew Your Own Magazine.
4: Greetings, Cretins, this is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. <laughs>
2: and read your way to better homebrew. Back to your hosts Jamil Zana Chef and John Palmer, putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. Hey. You know,
3: during the breaks, I actually realized that Scott uh, has a lot more to offer than just a pretty face and the ability to push the buttons on the, uh, on the board <laughs> there. He's got some insights. I, th- yeah. I think I'm getting rid of voicemail. I had to check my voicemail during the break, and then somebody left me voicemail while I was checking my voicemail. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, it, if you want to get a hold of me, don't call me, because chances are I'm so busy I can't answer the phone right then. You know, I'm on, the, I'm on the air, I'm up on the roof, I'm, I, I don't have, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> and then if I see just a, a flag that says you got voicemail, it's like, I gotta stop, I gotta dial in, I gotta listen to this, I gotta transcribe it, I gotta like call somebody back, oh the hell with that, send <laughs> me an email, send me a text, you got my phone number, send me a text, come on, if you don't have text, then I can't talk to you. If you can't write, I don't want to talk to anybody anyways. Now, I, I'm getting rid of voicemail. I, Scott has...
5: Opened a whole new Vista to Yeah. Me. And as I as I would tell people when I didn't have it, not just for me, for you. Think about how long right. it takes b- between right. uh, the end of my message and the actual beep, that stupid lady. Oh, to leave a callback number, press 5. Right. If you would like to... Be- Who presses 5, Nobody first of all? Nobody. Nobody. Anyway, you're it's
3: right. a mess. No voicemail. No voicemail. And, yeah, and again, if you're calling me, I, I got no idea. I, there's a couple of people where they sure. work in companies where... They do not have text. They're using the Nextel or whatever, and they cannot text me. Because I'm sure they would. Instead, they have to call me or email me. Still, they should just email me. But something critical, they got to call me. So when I see calls from those people, and I know they can't text me, I'm willing to pick up the phone for them. But still, sometimes I can't. And it it just becomes a big time waste. So... No voicemail. You're just going to have to call me back and hope that you can get through. If it's that critical, otherwise send me an email.
1: Everybody's yeah. got email. If you don't have email, I
3: can't do business with you if you don't have email. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Done. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, all right. So, JJ says, those are coming out too dark. What's your solution for them, John? I assumed you were thinking well, about this while I, a I was question. chatting with
4: Is it Scott liquid Moon. extract or dry extract?
3: Got to believe, he doesn't say, but I got to believe he's probably using liquid because most of the Munich extract out there
4: is in liquid form. Okay. So chances are if it's coming out darker, then... It's way darker. It's oxidized. Yeah. I would say that is the reason. Right. Right. That could be.
3: I mean, it could be that, you know, it's just got a higher percentage of Munich, and they used a darker Munich when they made it, and yada, yada. But uh, one of the things our good friend uh, uh, Bob Hansen from Breeze was always uh, fond of saying, and that I've t- taken yep. to heart, and I, I mention every BYO Style article, uh, is, you know, if, if you're using extract, if you can't get fresh extract, fresh liquid extract, use dry. It's gonna be, stay fresher longer because it doesn't have the liquid in it. It's not gonna oxidize as fast. It's a much more stable product. That's that's the way to go.
5: Yep. Has it always mostly been in liquid I've just, form? I've
3: just given Scott the secret for for making better extract beer. Oh man, I shouldn't. You know, who knows? The, the Brewcaster Challenge could bring. Has it always
5: has it, has it always been mostly in liquid form? Y- you said it's likely he's using liquid because most of the it's. Usually, liquid people use.
3: You know, the only dry, you know they do some dry um, extracts, but they don't do. Is it's like dry yeast? You know, there's dry yeast. There's a few varieties, but not every variety is available as dry. So, yeah. uh, you know, the the dry ye uh, dry extract they have to um, they have a spray drying device. They essentially make liquid extract, I think, and then spray dry it oh really so they got a you know it's an extra staff so it's just easier i guess to make the liquid one i don't know it, you know shipping is more expensive because it's got all that water weight but um you know i but i've only i don't know that i've seen dry munich extract
4: yeah i don't think i have either yeah. Unless maybe unless someone like mutton's makes it
3: right and they might they might um yeah. So that's that's the situation there both of us think that that's a most likely case. The other thing might be um you know you're using if you if you go and get chocolate malt or you know something like that, or of course he's talking about dortmunder and Maybach. there's no likely congress <laughs> i'm I'm just saying you brew something and you you go and to your homebrew shop and say. I need, uh, you know, roasted barley. Well, roasted barley comes, you know, anything from like, you know, 300 Lava Bond to 650, or chocolate malt, and you know, three, you know, 300 yeah. Lovabon Bond to, to 600. You know, different maltsters
4: to choose yeah. from and everything.
3: So you can't just go in and say, chocolate malt, I want chocolate malt at 350 Lava Bond, I want chocolate malt at 500 Lava Bond. What, you know, you need to be a little more precise. But in that case, I think, um, yeah, it was that or uh, oxidation somewhere along the process? If it wasn't the, uh, um, uh, if it wasn't the actual um, uh, extract itself that was oxidized, uh, Clint uh, offers this up. He says, uh, "Good day." So I don't know if he's Australian or not, but uh,
4: might be from Brooklyn. You never know. He might be.
3: He says, "Fellers," so he might be from the south. I don't know, fellers. Um, what can cause a pepper phenolic flavor, as in cooked or bell peppers? I recently brewed a Doppelbock with coffee additions, added to the whirlpool after the wort temperature was below 150. Come bottling day, the beer tasted great. I was extremely excited about the final outcome of the beer. No, no pepper flavor. I bottled with some champagne yeast since it had been lagering for a few months and let it sit for a few weeks at room temperature to carb. Imagine my disappointment when I cracked the bottle and was confronted with a nasty pepper aroma and flavor instead of deliciousness. I can't find anything definitive online about way, what may have caused this. After sitting myself at 55 for a month, the pepper flavor has diminished greatly and the beer is starting to taste pretty good again. But I would like to prevent from getting this pepper flavor again if I can. Well, I'll tell you, that's from the coffee. Coffee, right? Yeah. Yeah. Coffee's
5: got green pepper notes to it just by itself, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Very, very peppery. So would you advise him to not use coffee in the... Re- what, what could he do to minimize that?
3: This is one of the things that I have not figured out. If I still had the chance to homebrew copious amounts multiple times a week, all that, I would I would figure this out. This is one of the things that bugs me is how, you know, there's some coffee beers without that that pepper flavor, that green, I, I call it jalapeno, like a green jalapeno, uh, fresh jalapeno kind of flavor. Uh... And and there's coffee beers without it, and what exactly is that? And people like talk about cold steeping and all that stuff. Uh, personally, my thought is it it's based on the coffee you're using. Certain coffees are are kilned differently, you know, roasted differently, and that develops different flavors. Some processes, I think, leave more of that green pepper character behind. And some of them burn more of it off, or maybe it's vice versa. Some of them burn too much, and it becomes more of that like that. I think it's related to that. So I think my
5: guess is by choosing a different kind of coffee, you won't get that. Why do you think he didn't get it uh, when he did his initial tasting before he bottled? And he's drunk off his ass.
4: <laughs> uh, it could be part of an oxidation reaction, too, where you know that be. flavor is created by... A Maillard reaction, for instance, and uh, yeah then gradually it, it evolves over time mm-hmm. but i would I would put it as
3: as a a phenolic uh, type of compound yeah um, and I think uh spike from terrapin we we did wake and bake stout and I think that that did not have the green pepper in it, and I think that he was saying it's because they choose certain roasted. Uh, coffee that doesn't have it or something like that. If you go back to the Can You Brew It episodes, you're going to have to do a little work here, listener, and you search for like Wake and Bake Stout and Terrapin and uh, I think that he mentions it there and I might might be uh, misremembering it, but I think that that was uh, one of the good uh, comments. One of the things that I got out of that was um, uh, that uh, Different types of coffee could produce different peppers. But, you know, I I think it deserves experimentation for somebody to finally figure out what the actual cause and effect is. Uh, Tarantino says, how do you convert from a 5-gallon batch to a 10-gallon batch, i.e. taking a recipe from brewing classic styles? Thank you, gentlemen. Sleep well knowing there's one more alcoholic out there because of your damn books. There you Mm. go. How do you
5: convert 5 to 10? You multiply by 2. Yep. And you get a bigger pot. Hold on. Give him a second to write that down. Yeah. 2. <laughs> X, 2. There you go. Uh,
3: Dermot says, and Dermot looks like a, uh alcoholic drinking from a basketball. The photo is kind of small. Uh, I have been listening to your shows for the past few years. really appreciate all the great insight you provide. The knowledge you provide has definitely improved my brewings. I have started oxygenating all of my beers. And with my last batch, I forgot to oxygenate before pitching my yeast. Oh, my God, just pour it out. If you forgot to oxygenate before pitching your yeast, I normally use pure O2 with a diffusion stone. Is it better to skip oxygenation step altogether or oxygenate with yeast already in the wort? I've read pure oxygen is toxic to yeast, it impossible to kill yeast by injecting oxygen with a stone after yeast is pitched. Appreciate any insight you can provide. Keep up the great work,
4: Dermot. No, you you can you can oxygenate after you pitch. That's fine. Sure.
3: You know the interesting thing about oxygen toxicity, and I don't know where why we were talking about this, but we're talking about um, oxygen toxicity for some reason, and it's it's like a it's around like. Uh, um yeah it's, you know two and a half atmospheres or something that where uh you get uh oxygen toxicity for humans, and I think I remember asking chris uh white what the oxygen toxicity level was for yeast, and I don't think he knew but I was curious what the actual point of toxicity is for yeast, and I'm not sure if that's ever been measured or not, but um the interesting thing about oxygen toxicity is. It takes an insane level for a fairly long time to be toxic to an organism. Because organisms can process, you know, all these living organisms, humans. You know, we could walk in 100% oxygen, right? Breathe 100% oxygen at, uh, you know, regular sea level pressure for days and be fine, right? If you go under pressure, if we go to the bottom of the ocean or we go like 100 feet down, uh, 100% oxygen will kill you in fairly short order. But you can breathe it for a little while before it be- reached the toxic level in your body. So for yeast, same sort of thing. If you are flowing a huge amount of oxygen uh, that could be considered toxic to the yeast, as long as you're not flowing it for 15 minutes, you're probably not going to kill your yeast.
4: Four or five minutes.
3: I think if you do, like, a minute, you know, yeah, you could, like John's saying, you can uh, you can oxygenate after pitching your yeast. It's fine.
5: What would be the uh, 100 feet down in the ocean equivalent for yeast? Like, how could you kill it quicker? Um, uh, you know, under pressure. So,
3: commercial, you've got, uh, you know, these tall fermenters. Uh, you know, from, from the top of our building at Heretic, and I, I, I know I mentioned Heretic, but uh, the only reason I do is because I am learning things as we as we do this, and I want to share those pieces of information. Uh, we put our chiller up on the top of the building because uh, we had no outdoor space to put it in, so we had to put it on top of the building. Well, right there, that's thirty feet of rise, so the bottom of our fermenters are already at fifteen psi, just off of you know the rise in uh, of the of the chiller to the roof same thing anytime you get liquid you get a column of liquid uh, water thirty three feet tall it 's one atmosphere of pressure that is pressing on whatever's in that liquid at the bottom right so uh, you 've got fifteen point seven psi on that when uh, when you're when there's gases gases the the partial pressure of gas <laughs> So you you know the amount of uh, oxygen that you would get into your cells uh, under pressure is much greater. Uh, under under pressure, you're getting uh, gases will diffuse across a membrane based on pressure and content, and you'll it'll go across that membrane based on the, the pressure difference. Yeah, pressure differential.
5: So is the opposite true too? Like if you took a carboy up to the top of Everest, it would take a lot longer to have that effect? You'd have... Oh, it would be...
3: You know, uh, you'd have less dissolved gas in that, yeah. It's like, you know, the whole thing about you go out into outer space, uh, the gases in your blood bubble out. And you end up with no... Because you have no pressure to kind of hold the gas into solution. So, and it's like when you're diving, you absorb all these gases from the air that you're breathing, you know, nitrogen Mm -hmm. or whatever. You get nitrogen. And and it it dissolves into the liquid in your body. And then you release that pressure. It's like opening a bottle of soda. Uh, You know, you uncap it and it fizzes. Uh, Same thing, you bring your body up from pressure and all that liquid, or the gases dissolved into the liquid in your body. It comes bubbling back out. Which is the bends. So, same sort of thing for yeast. Um, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going to have a whole lot of pressure in a, in a small carboy, uh, and you would have to do it for quite a while, I would think, before it really, truly became toxic. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, it is possible, you know, in, in the I think I've mentioned oxygen to- toxicity before for yeast, just in the thought of people putting ox- pure oxygen into starters into stirred starters they'll put like a starter stir plate and they're bubbling pure oxygen in continuously at a high rate in a stirred starter for twenty four or forty eight hours and there I would worry that you've you could potentially have an issue with oxygen toxicity
4: yeah and also just changing changing the yeast from what you know a kind of a what they are gotten what they've gotten used to over two days to much less oxygen in the beer, they're probably not going to perform well.
3: All right. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up this Q&A session after this.
1: BN Army, HopTech has a great discount waiting for you. Do you often find it difficult to find specific specialty ingredients for your homebrew recipes? Well, listen to this. HopTech stocks 59 different grains to choose from, 39 varieties of pellet hops, and 8 kinds of whole hops. And HopTech not only carries Y-yeast and White Labs yeast for you, but also Fermentus, 4 5 6, and T-58 Belgian yeast, plus Cooper's Nottingham and Windsor yeasts. Got your recipe ready to go? Pick up some great brew gear like new long and short-sleeved shirts, games, and more. HopTech's new website is being updated every day with new items. If you don't see it, call the shop. They're open six days a week. BN Army and AHA members get a 10% discount, and active military personnel get 15% off. Visit HopTech.com today for great selection, great service, and a great discount. HopTech.com.
2: I've... Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be, members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like AHA member deals that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy for tons of articles, how-tos, e- easy to follow recipes and news about the hobby you love and access to the members only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today. So the American homebrewers association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join now from the homepage of the brewing network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American homebrewers association. Where do you go for all the stuff you need to brew? homebrewstuff.com of course in their boise idaho storefront and warehouse they have more than 750 craft beers and eight thousand square feet of homebrew products in stock the staff at homebrew stuff are homebrewers themselves they try out just about everything including the beer so they can answer your questions knowledgeably and correctly about brewing kegging and anything else you might need to ask don't live near the homebrew stuff store Visit homebrewstuff.com online and take advantage of their 7.95 dollars domestic shipping available on most orders. Homebrewstuff.com is a proud sponsor of the AHA, NHC, GABF, and countless other acronyms. So if you're a homebrewer looking for great people, a great selection, and great deals, head to homebrewstuff.com online or in person. Visit their YouTube channel for loads of free how-to and product videos. All of the
1: stuff you need to brew. Homebrewstuff.com. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers no beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program, certified beer server, certified Cicerone, and master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone. Because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint.
2: Alright, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 thousand recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt. The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and a Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit AustinHomebrew.com to browse their extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have mini-clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brewvent Yeast Fuel as well, yeast nutrient, and the all-new Bodybuilder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit AustinHomeBrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply. AustinHomeBrew.com To the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong.
3: All right. We've run a little long, so I'm going to, uh, let's wrap this up with a quick answer to this question. Uh, This guy, Ryan, says, what recommendations do you have for a good pH meter? All the ones I've been using always need to be calibrated, and they are a pain in my ass. Uh
4: Uh-huh. Well, if they're good, they need to be calibrated.
3: All pH meters have to be calibrated. There is yeah. no pH meter that does not need to be calibrated. You need uh, t- at least two calibration points, four and seven, or seven and ten. Depends on what what you know you're measuring. Since you're going, you're measuring things below seven. You generally go four and seven. Yeah. The problem with pH meters is the cheap ones suck ass, and they the probes go bad really fast. If you're not using them continuously and taking good care care of them, and if you're submerging them in uh liquids and things like that, <laughs> they get dirty, they get clogged. They don't, you know, they they don't last a long. Time. If if you're a professional brewer, if you're brewing every every day, things like that, then they're fine, um, you know. But if you're a home brewer and you're brewing once a month or once every two, and they dry out, you got to store them in you know a proper solution or at least a buffered solution. Um, I I'm a big fan of uh, pH papers. I think you know people have problems with them, but I'm telling you, scientists all over the world use pH uh, papers and are able to uh, figure out uh, the pH from that. I, I had really good luck with uh, the color fast strips. Uh, fast spelled p h a s t, and um, I matched them up to uh, a, 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 a bench meter. And I had no trouble, uh, regardless of the word, um, looking at stouts, looking at pale oils, whatever it was, uh, being within fifty one hundredths of a, uh, a pH. Uh, on, on That's point oh
4: five, do you and me? Yes,
3: and uh, I it worked fine. Now they are also temperature sensitive. pH is affected if the free hydrogen is, you yeah. know, increases based on warmer temperatures. So, um, you know, as it cools down, the pH changes and the color changes. you got to wait till it cools down. If you want to measure cold, if you want to measure hot, then, then they're they're at hot. Um, but you can, uh, you know, you, you can get in that ballpark. I can't imagine, you know, if somebody's colorblind, something like that, uh, or they're overthinking it, maybe they won't be able to, to, to see that it's between, you know, it's either 5'2", or it's 5'3", five 5'4", you know, it's like okay, it's either five two or five. Which one is it closer to? You're within a tenth. I guarantee you, you're within a tenth of a pH, and that's plenty fine for for brewing. So uh, I'd, I'd give that if you if you don't want to calibrate your pH meter every time you use it, then test strips or just give up and and assume it's good. <laughs> yeah, you good with that, John? Or or, well uh, and, um, and there's and there's pH meters that aren't that expensive but the cheap ones are cheap for a reason yeah
4: yeah yeah I mean a good one is going to cost you a hundred bucks and the yep. probe will cost you the electrode will cost you another hundred and twenty five hundred fifty to get a really good one
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, you know that's real that's highly accurate um,
3: well and durable but, some of them are, are more durable than others. Yeah, the ones that are built into the end of the pH meter—pieces of crap. Don't buy those. Uh, they're, those they're bad. Over yeah, those
4: do not last terribly long. Yeah, and, and that as Jamil said, that one of the one of the big problems with electrodes is that they're not made to be generally not made to be used with, with wort and beer. These with the proteins, um, wort and beer will clog them up really quick. Um, with you know, if you if you don't maintain them by keeping them soaking in solution between use and so on, um, that they, they do just wear out. Mm-hmm. So,
3: so if you do get a pH meter, get one with a replaceable probe. They're connect. They connect with these BNC connectors usually, and yeah. so you can just toss that probe, get a new one. But you're going to need a new one like every year. Yeah, uh, you know it depends on the probe and how you treat it in between and all that stuff, but. I mean, they'll go out, like, in six months. So, be prepared to why. That's why, you, that's why they the need cal-
4: you need something to calibrate them. You know, right, right. You need a. You need an instrument that can be calibrated to two points, mm-hmm. four and seven, and a good P- pH meter will do that automatically. You just drop the probe in, hit the calibrate button, right. it thinks for R- a minute, R- then rinse. it says, okay, go to the next solution. Yeah. You
3: rinse it off, you put it in the next solution, and then it, it figures it out, and then you're all good. Uh, and also... If you're going to get one, um, you can get a used um, bench meter on eBay that, you know, the electronics are all fine. It's the probes that are bad. Get yeah. yourself a brand-new probe and get one that's got a, a temperature probe. And then you've got ATC with a temperature probe, and it's fantastic, and it's extremely precise. Yep. So. Check that out. All right. That's it for this show. If you're listening live, stay tuned. We're going to have another Q&A session coming up right after this. And uh, if you're not, you're on the the podcast program, and you're just going to have to wait two weeks or so to listen to
4: more so just riveting, grab a beer and wait.
3: riveting radio. Yes, yeah, so drink for two weeks. Uh, sit there and drink while you're waiting for us and, and let us know. Uh, while you're spending those two weeks waiting, fiddling, waiting for us, uh, check out our fine sponsor BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman with two n's, uh, innovating your home brew so you can brew better beer, have fun with it, and all that good stuff. And uh, check out the Brewery Network store. Lots of goodies in there. When you buy that stuff, it goes to support the Brewery Network and shows like this. Check out uh, Brew Your Own. Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine. Uh, Through the Brewing Network, and half of the subscription price goes to Brewing Network. Uh, Really good deal for you, really good deal for BAYO, really good deal for the Brewing Network. Till then, Brew Strong! Brew Strong, everyone.